If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share us and subscribe so you don't miss our next show. We'd love to talk with you again. The third quarter fundraising numbers are in, and Donald Trump continues to lead the Republican pack with $37.5 million at the end of September, even after spending almost $37 million in legal fees to over 60 law firms and individual attorneys since January of 2022. More than half of the Save America PAC's money has been spent defending the candidate in court against four separate indictments in different jurisdictions rather than campaigning. He does have the donors and the poll numbers to qualify for the third and final Republican primary debate scheduled for November 8th in Miami, but he's not going. It looks like three others are not going either, but because they couldn't meet the requirements. Those requirements are 70,000 donors with 200 unique ones from 20 states, and polling of at least 4% in two national polls, or one national poll and two polls from early primary states. As of this show, only Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Vivek Ramaswamy have met those criteria. That leaves Mike Pence, Chris Christie, and Tim Scott possibly without tickets to the show. Mike Pence's campaign is in bad shape. The war chest shows a meager $1.2 million in a report filed last weekend, putting him at rock bottom for the remaining primary challengers. The campaign is also $620,000 in debt. Pence bought a pittance of $14,400 worth of digital ads in September and has only spent $400 on them this month. He suffers from an unfortunate combination of sins in the eyes of the electorate. If the voter dislikes Trump, Pence served Trump, Pence bad. If the voter likes Trump, Pence betrayed Trump, Pence bad. Even evangelical Christians, a group Pence thought would support him, don't. Chris Christie is on the ground in New Hampshire now and confirms that he is focusing on the Granite State in South Carolina. Inside sources say he will be picking up the pace and he has hired veteran Republican operative Jeff LaCourse as state director. The most vocal critic of Trump in this race, Christie has been warning voters if Donald Trump wins here, he will be our nominee and everything that happens after is going to be on our party and our country. Christie has said if he fails to do well in New Hampshire, he will drop out of the race. Tim Scott's Super PAC, Trust in the Mission PAC, Tim PAC, huh, clever, is canceling most of its TV spots. It had reserved $40 million ahead of the Iowa caucuses, with donors not beating a path to his door, single-digit polling, and Scott's still not qualified for the third Republican debate, this could be a bad sign. In the donor memo obtained by Politico, they announced that they are canceling all our fall media inventory. Co-chair of the Super PAC, Rob Collins, is casting this as keeping their powder dry for now, saying, we are not going to waste our money when the electorate isn't focused or ready for a Trump alternative. He continued, this electorate is locked up and money spent on mass media isn't going to change minds until we get a little closer to voting. Campaign spokesperson Matt Gorman said the campaign quote was built for the long haul and that we're ready as ever to take our message into the early states and beyond. Vivek Ramaswamy has said he had met the criteria to be on the stage next month, but is considering not going either. He said, my view is what best advances substantive debate for the future of the Republican Party and for the future of our country, and so we're weighing what best accomplishes that. He continued, I'm going to be looking at what best does and we'll evaluate whether participating in that third debate really is something that moves the ball. Ron DeSantis' campaign says they still have $12.3 million in the kitty at the end of the third quarter. 
His campaign started off strong, but quickly burned through money early in the year, and he had to let staff go and try to run a more economical campaign in the past months as his initial buzz began to wear off and donations slowed down. His absence from town halls in New Hampshire and Iowa has been noted and supports the assertion that he is afraid to face voters and tough questions. Nikki Haley saw an uptick in donations after her performance in the second debate and reported $11.5 million in the bank going into October. She also isn't afraid to meet and talk to voters. Haley is under fire for her seemingly inconsistent stance on China. She courted Chinese companies and welcomed them to South Carolina as governor, but is now hawkish on the Chinese, and her answer to a question at a recent town hall on that was deemed misleading. Unlike Christie, who is quickly setting up shop in New Hampshire, Haley has visited the state several times since announcing her candidacy, visiting every corner of the state and talking to as many people as she can and the voters are noticing. Her poll numbers are up, donations are up, and attendance at her events are up. The Granite State is characterized as an intimate place where they really want to get to know candidates. Will Haley's hard work pay off in the state's primary in January? RFK Jr. causes quite a stir in a hypothetical three-way race between him, Joe Biden, and an assumed candidate, Donald Trump, in an October 11th Marist poll of 1,300 adults. With just the Democratic and Republican candidates, Biden leads Trump 49% to 46%, with 5% undecided. Add an independent Kennedy, though, and the numbers change. In that scenario, respondents gave Biden 44%, Trump 37%, 16% for Kennedy, and three undecided. Specifically with self-identified Republican respondents, Trump's support dropped from 91% to 81%, with Kennedy getting 11%. Self-identified Democrats cut support from Biden, too, with his 91% reduced to 86%, with Kennedy getting 9%. Among independents, Trump topped Biden 49% to 43%, but adding Kennedy dropped their numbers to 34% for Trump and 33% for Biden, with 29% of independent respondents picking Kennedy. The margin of error on this poll was plus or minus 3.8%. Immediately after Kennedy announced his independent candidacy, polls suggested he would impact Joe Biden the most. The most recent polling suggests the far-right anti-vax crowd within the GOP might be Googling Kennedy and liking his stance on that issue. He does run an anti-vax nonprofit, after all, and has been a vocal opponent on that topic. Would those people be as supportive if they heard Kennedy's stance on another issue, reparations? He has in the past voiced support for such things. On his campaign website, the following entry says, Communities that were specifically targeted for destruction need to be specifically targeted for repair. During Jim Crow, black banks, businesses, Hospitals, schools, and farms were targeted for destruction. Racists knew that without these, the black community had no chance of building wealth. We must set federal dollars aside to rebuild black infrastructure. Would this position, one actually to the left of Joe Biden, sway some of the Democratic electorate? Kennedy has also weighed in on the housing market, saying at a recent Los Angeles speaking engagement that, quote, the real reason that housing has outpaced anything else is because there are three giant corporations, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. He inferred that these three own 88% of the S&P 500 on the stock exchange and that they are able to secure financing at a 30% lower rate. He predicted that if this continues unabated, the corporations will own 60% of single-family homes in America by 2030. He says he wants to stop this by introducing a federal program that backs mortgages at 3%, financed by tax-free bonds, 
this program would only be available to American citizens and not to corporations. After three unsuccessful attempts to secure the votes to become Speaker, Jim Jordan ended his bid Friday. The week before belonged to Steve Scalise, House Majority Leader, who beat Jordan, just, in a conference vote. Scalise spent the following days attempting to secure greater support before heading to the floor, but saw the writing on the wall and picked up his hat and walked out of the ring. The Republicans went back into conference and nominated Jordan. He also had enough votes to secure a nomination, but not enough to win on the floor against a blue wall of Democrats united behind their minority leader, Hakeem Jeffries. Jordan, as is his bull in a china shop M.O., didn't spend much time trying to increase support in the Republican conference and called for a floor vote Tuesday. First vote, first loss. Jordan only garnered 200 votes to Jeffries, 212, but now he knew the names of his opposition. From that moment, the pressure campaign started. Jordan claims innocent that he didn't release the dogs of war on his fellow Republicans that, for various reasons, felt he wasn't the answer to the Speaker of the House vacancy, but somebody let the dogs out. Woof, woof, woof. The response from Jordan supporters ranged from angry phone calls and emails to congressional offices from individuals and right-wing pundits like Sean Hannity to harassment of family members of the holdouts. The wife of Nebraska rep Don Bacon is reported to have started sleeping with a loaded gun as a result of the abusive calls and texts she received. Jordan worked the room, trying to turn some more votes in his favor, while those same people he was trying to woo endured continued escalating harassment. It bore little fruit, as on the next vote, Wednesday, votes shuffled around a little, but he only received 199 this time. For their part, the Democrats continued to deliver Hakeem Jeffries a solid 212. Their whole conference supported him. On the GOP side of the aisle, however, there was a small but firm resistance to Jordan, a hard-right, Trump-style Republican that opponents would characterize as, quote, a bomb thrower. Some in the conference were not comfortable with such a person being the face of their party in the House. Some didn't like what his House Freedom Caucus had done to the last speaker, Kevin McCarthy, with Matt Getz's motion to vacate. Some didn't like how members had not gotten in line to support Steve Scalise after he was nominated. To be fair to Jordan, as the Scalise nomination was proceeding, the reports I read said Jim Jordan was outwardly supporting Scalise. External pressure from Jordan supporters ramped up. Constituents of one resistance member were getting pro-Jordan robocalls, and home district offices were seeing small protests outside their doors. Ken Buck of Colorado might not have a door to look out of back home. His district office was served with an eviction notice because he wouldn't support Jim Jordan. Then came the threats. More than one of the resistance members received death threats. None of them bent to the pressure, however. In fact, it appears to have tempered their resolve, because in the third round of voting on Friday, Jordan's support had dropped to 194, while Jeffries earned 210. Twenty-five Republicans voted against Jordan. The Gang of Eight the Republicans who voted to fire Kevin McCarthy, with Matt Getz, the initiator of the motion to vacate leading, made an impassioned plea from the steps of the House. In a Dear Colleague letter, they offered their pound of flesh to the resistance to secure support for Jim Jordan. They would be willing to accept whatever punishment for their actions the holdouts deemed necessary to vote in Jim Jordan as Speaker of the House. They mentioned willingness to accept censure, sanction, suspension, and even removal from the Republican conference. Gets complained, the holdouts against Jim Jordan have no asks, have no goals, 
have no objectives other than to see the eight of us suffer some consequence for having removed McCarthy. After the third failed attempt, the Republicans again went behind closed doors. In that meeting, it was declared that Jordan would no longer be the nominee after a crushing 112 to 86 defeat in a secret ballot vote. He accepted the results and withdrew his name from consideration. The candidate forum is scheduled for 6.30 p.m. today, and then there will be an internal conference Tuesday at 9 a.m. with acting speaker Patrick McHenry saying the goal is to move to a floor vote as soon as Tuesday. The deadline to announce their candidacy has passed, and here are the nine Republicans vying for the nomination. All of them did not vote to vacate Kevin McCarthy, but did vote for Jim Jordan three times. Michigan's Jack Bergman, first elected in 2017 in Armed Services Intelligence and Special Operations Subcommittee Chairman. Florida's Byron Donalds, freshman, elected in 2021. Minnesota's Tom Emmer, first elected in 2015, and he is Majority Whip, number three in the Republican leadership. Oklahoma's Kevin Hearn, first elected in 2018 and chair of the Republican Study Committee at Conservative House Caucus. Louisiana's Mike Johnson, first elected in 2017 and Judiciary, Constitution, and Limited Government Subcommittee Chairman. Pennsylvania's Dan Muser, first elected in 2019 and Small Business, Economic Growth, Tax, and Capital Access Subcommittee Chairman. Alabama's Gary Palmer, first elected in 2015. Georgia's Austin Scott, first elected in 2011, and Agricultural General Farm Commodities Risk Management and Credit Subcommittee Chairman. Texas's Pete Sessions, elected to his current seat in 2021, but has been in the House for 25 years in other district seats. He is the Oversight and Accountability Government Operations and the Federal Workforce Subcommittee Chairman. Former Speaker Newt Gingrich had harsh words for the current House, calling it a mess and saying the Gang of Eight unleashed furies in the Republican conference. He also had advice, urging the members to stay in conference until they could agree on a nominee. He recommended bring food in and stay there. Again, very simple test. Can you get to 217 votes? They shouldn't bring anybody out until they have 217. And second, that 217 has to be committed not just to elect a speaker, but to stick together for the next five or six months. Sounds like a conclave, like the Republicans are electing a pope. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take the time to leave a comment here and on Podchaser. It helps us know how we're doing and what topics you'd like to hear in the future. Have a great day.